This is an ABC podcast. Just a warning, there's some adult language in this episode, so it might not be suitable for young ears. It's July the 1st, 2020. Tear gas and pepper spray fill the streets as protesters mark the 23rd anniversary of Hong Kong's return to China. Their march was banned because of COVID, but they're protesting anyway. I'm watching from afar in Melbourne, where we're in and out of COVID lockdown. This day is the start of a new era for Hong Kong. The night before, a new national security law was imposed on the city. It outlaws secession, subversion, terrorism, and collusion with foreign powers. It is, Chief Executive Carrie Lam says, the most significant development in Hong Kong's relationship with Beijing since its return. A historic step to improve Hong Kong. It's about to change our city forever. My city is dying, dying, dying. I'm Louisa Lim. This is The King of Kowloon. Episode 6, Reinvention. I'm chasing the unlikely story of Zhang Zhou Choi, a man who called himself the King of Kowloon. He was a graffiti vandal who became an artist, a symbol of Hong Kong and of dispossession. And every man who became someone, the king of people's hearts. His territorial claim may have been imagined, but Hong Kongers understood it instinctively. His legacy has been difficult, contested, destroyed, and I'm finding still in motion. Now, as Hong Kong itself is once more morphing, this time beyond all recognition, I wonder if the king matters at all anymore. On the first day of this new law, protesters are out on the streets. They're shouting, Hong Kong independence, the only way out. Protesters opposing the new law and Communist Party rule now potentially breaching state subversion clauses. By the end of the day, the law's been used to arrest 10 people. Within a week, the most popular protest slogan, Liberate Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times, is deemed potentially seditious. The protest song, Glory to Hong Kong, is banned in schools. The shadowy mainland security services commandeer a hotel in the dead of night. Hong Kong is being remade at breakneck speed the changes are happening almost faster than we can write them down. The justice system is being transformed with special national security courts hearing cases without juries. The new laws used to rewrite textbooks, to disqualify election candidates, to expel pro-democracy legislators. Once an elected lawmaker, Ted Hoy is getting used to being arrested. There were at least 10 charges against him, some for his defiance in the chamber. His time is running out. 
I was arrested quite many times. Not every time I got charges laid against me, but I knew it was coming. I got police raids in the morning, knocking on my doors, 6 a.m. in the morning, and charging me for this and that. And I got that for three consecutive months, and I knew they were coming for real. In December, he flees into exile, first to Denmark, then on to Australia. In January 2021, 47 pro-democracy activists are arrested for taking part in primary polls to decide who should stand for the next election. 600,000 people had voted in those. Ted Hoy had also taken part. Had he stayed, he'd be in detention too. That's one of the most painful experience I had because too many Hong Kongers They were political figures. They were well-known people, but to me, they are my colleagues. They are my everyday life friends, and I know them personally. I know their families. Their kids play with our kids. So knowing that、uh, they were locked up and not getting bail, it was very, very painful. I I couldn't sleep all those nights when they were having the proceedings in court. I couldn't sleep at all. It's a move which wipes out the political opposition. The electoral system is being reinvented. Patriots only. New pro-China parties and politicians are emerging out of nowhere. The pro-democracy Apple Daily newspaper is shut down. Its founder Jimmy Lai appears in court, chains around his waist. Politics is over. Press freedom too. Protest is no longer allowed. Covid laws are used to stop groups of more than four, then two, from gathering. The city's borders are closed for Covid. Hong Kong is being stifled. I think the aim is to turn Hong Kong into a normal Chinese city, a city with no dissents, no objections, and a city without criticism against the government, a city that. Doesn't allow you to talk about the dark side of the regimes, even in the past in history. It's physically still Hong Kong, but the core is not Hong Kong anymore. It's like Hong Kongers been deprived of their land. We've been taken away what we had. When I meet him in Melbourne, I ask Ted what he misses most in exile. He surprises me by talking about calligraphy, about how, as a politician, he used to write New Year couplets for his constituents. Oh, I miss the most the time I spend in the streets because it's the time we would usually、uh, write Chinese calligraphies and write words of blessing for our local communities, our neighborhood. I write quite many different things、uh, besides traditional Happy New Year. I wrote about. Revolution of our time, wrote about five demands, not one less. So we wrote about every political slogan. People were so happy receiving them, and I was so happy writing them. I had the freedom, but now those days are gone. Suddenly, what I wrote becomes illegal. I wondered if they still kept my handwriting, writing about revolution of our time, and they would be scared to keep it at home. I I wonder if they would be. Grow stronger and fight for Hong Kong. The day after our interview, 
TED opens an event for the Hong Kong community in Melbourne. Officially open the event with a big bang. Three, two, one. It's in an old indoor market with high vaulted ceilings. It's crammed with people. A long line to buy curried fish balls and rice rolls with sesame. Lots of Hong Kong businesses. <laughs> At one stall, I meet a woman called Pearl. She's selling pro-democracy Lunar New Year couplets, the kind that Ted Hoi used to write, the kind that are now banned in Hong Kong. It's not the Hong Kong that I used to know, I used to live there, I used to work there, it's not. It was a nightmare, it was hell that Hong Kong is in now. It is really a hell. She's one of the few people I talk to who's willing to give her name. For most, it's simply too risky. The biggest loss is we just can't express ourselves. Simple. We can't express ourselves. We can't criticize the government. Not in a bad way. We cannot even criticize the government, wanting them to improve, to make a better government for the people. We just can't even say this. Every kind of opinion that is negative has become something that can get you in jail. That is a problem. So you're trying to clean the past, you're trying to erase the past. And in that context, it, with that background, events like today's, it, it's not just a market, is it? I mean, No, it's, it, this is actually the connection that we're looking for. This is so crucial, important to us. Back home, they can't do anything. However, we can actually connect people here. Let them know that, hey, we are here with you. We feel what you feel. We are sad like how you feel sad. Same. We are the same people. It's true. There's a kind of desperate sadness that permeates the whole event. Kids are dressed up in their best clothes. Whole families have come. It feels like we're recreating a tiny Hong Kong, a little Hong Kong bubble reconstituted in another city. But of course, none of us can ever really go home because home doesn't exist anymore. Hong Kongers have suddenly become doubly dispossessed, losing their land, then their city itself. And of course, I'm still thinking about the King of Kowloon, Maybe I'm the only one. But I asked Ted Hoi if he thinks the King of Kowloon even matters. I'm quite surprised after like few decades and people realize that he's not even crazy. Maybe he's more like a prophet realizing what would happen. And he was using his own art in expressing his ideas. And now it's, uh, it actually happened. And what he wrote about has turned into the truth. A prophet who was not only writing of the past, but of future loss too. I hadn't thought of it that way. And the old king has found yet another way to resurface. In 2021, Hong Kong finally unveils its brand new Museum of Visual Culture, M+. It's meant to be Asia's premier art museum, but it's opened four years behind schedule, millions of dollars over budget. 
in an atmosphere where some of the work is too political to show. The building is extraordinary, the collection breathtaking, and the very first piece that visitors see, a pair of graffiti-covered doors, painted, of course, by the old king of Kowloon. I asked Pauline Yao, the museum's lead curator of visual art, how this man, who was barely seen as an artist in his lifetime, now has pride of place. He does play a very important role in Hong Kong's visual culture and that we're a museum of visual culture. So for us, in that sense, he is kind of a foundational or you know, certainly a very significant and important figure. She sees him as a disruptor who upends hierarchies. I try to pin her down on the meaning of his work, but Pauline says it's totally open-ended. It's like a meme or something that people keep borrowing and using and appropriating and it, it continues to have a life. And then each time it's, yeah, it's like morphing. No one has ownership over the king. Or everyone has ownership over him, all the Hong Kong people. That's what Joel Chung told me the last time I visited him. Before COVID, before the new laws remade the city. I'd gone to his office. It's a museum of stationery, shelves crammed with wooden rulers and inky fountain pens, bouncy balls hanging from the ceiling. I wanted to ask him about the old feud between him and curator Lao Kinwai, who's accusing him of destroying a big mural by the king. If I can get to the bottom of this, it might help me resolve one big question, whether the King of Kowloon is an invention created and manipulated by others for their own interests. I asked Joel if it's true he destroyed a painting of the King's. In answer, he pulls up a video. I see a wall covered with the King's graffiti. Words appear. They say, scene, disappearance. Then, Flames licking at a piece of paper covered in the king's work, consuming it. I gasp, my hands fly to my head. Joel seems unconcerned. How many did you burn? Just a few copies only. I have 500. Still? I'm shocked, horrified. Here's proof that Joel did destroy the king's work and not just one piece either. On screen, another piece of the king's writing, with red characters, goes up in flames. The embers are smouldering in a square tin, like the ones used during Hungry Ghost Month. That's when people burn offerings for hungry ghosts, for the dead who haven't received proper funeral rites and whose ghosts roam the earth. Do you think he's a hungry ghost? Yeah. For what, though? What would make his spirit satisfied? I think still have some people still remember him uh -huh. and still recognize about what he did. Actually, all my action is just want the people to recognize what we have before. Yeah. Don't forget it. Destroying to remember it seems like the ultimate contradiction. And it hides Joel's own secret, which I kind of stumbled upon. In 2015, Joel gave me a book 
It had a photo showing him painting over a piece of the king's work, but it was the same electricity box that was painted over by a government contractor two years later in 2017. I was so confused. So I asked him what's going on. I, I didn't like to explain too much to the outside people. <laughs> Just anything you, you observe, okay. <laughs> yeah. I push. How can a work be painted over, be destroyed twice? It turns out Joel's been playing a trick. He'd covered the king's work in cling film and painted over it. After he'd taken photos, he pulled off the covering, leaving the original work unharmed. He'd done the same thing to the mural that Lao Kin Wai had accused him of destroying. Lao Kin Wai, Joel said, had been fooled. He was beaming, as he told me, delighted. Then he let me in on another secret. He also had another clandestine mission. It took me a while to understand it. So wait, seriously, are you doing an opposite campaign? Yeah. How? But is it a secret campaign? It's called Xiao Shu Kan Jian. Actually, I do... This is my five or my sixth time. No way. So I, is I you, keep... are you doing this secretly? Yeah, I keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. Years before Joel had gone out with the king when he painted, he'd mixed him a special ink, super sticky. He noted down the sites where the king had painted. When the works were painted over by government workers, Joel noted that down too. Then, after the king died, each year Joel chose one piece of work. He went back to it and chipped off the top layer of grey government paint. The pressure had to be just so. As the paint flaked off, it left thick black characters in super sticky ink underneath. The king's words were re-emerging. When the words were out in the open, Joel covered them with transparent varnish to protect them. Then he covered them up with grey paint again. He was uncovering them only to recover them. It was genius. It was madness. It was obsession. I didn't have any planning. Yeah. <laughs> it was only after he died that yeah. you thought about uncovering it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. It's like an opposite. Yeah. Because the problem is the problem of disappearance, but you're reappearing. Yeah. 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 Use a term in Chinese. Xianling, something Ling. Is it yeah. Xian? Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in it's like a re reincarnation, is it? Uh, is it like rebirth after death when yeah, you're yeah, reborn yeah, yeah. or something yeah, else? Yeah. yeah. When I checked later, I found the word has a very specific meaning. A ghost making its presence felt. Joel took me to see an example. A big round pillar under a flyover. I could see layers and layers of the king's writing. Each time his work had been painted over, he'd gone back to repaint it. Two, three, even four layers all on top of each other. Ghost writing. So there's like, you said 25, 25. That, that you know of. 20, 25 spot. But you've only done six or seven. Yeah. Where you've taken them off, yeah. checked then, it, then put them back yeah. on. And are you going to go public with it or not? Yeah, later. Not, Not this moment. Wait till my book comes out. Yeah, sure. 
Joel releases videos of what he's done. If you don't know where to look, you might miss them. He too is reinventing the king's work. He's renewing it, restoring it, recovering it. He's memeing the meme, making secret offerings to the hungry ghost. To show the king, people still remember him. Hong Kong is not the same Hong Kong as it was in the King's Day. Or maybe it is. Because Hong Kong's strength has always been its capacity for reinvention, for remaking itself. And Hong Kongers too are learning to reinvent themselves elsewhere. More than 90,000 left the city in a single year. One is artist Casey Wong, who designed the King's exhibition catalogue back in the year of the handover, 1997. It was the King who inspired him to be an artist, an artist specialising in the art of protest. On a visit to Vienna, he gives a TEDx talk. He's unrecognisable, wearing a grey wig and sunglasses, a tan shirt. He looks like an old-school gangster from the 1970s. It's one of his protest disguises. My city is dying. It is at war with a much more powerful force than ours. It's a war on culture. When he speaks, I can hear him channeling the king. Maybe it's obvious only to me, a fellow subject. I'm just an artist. What can I do? Use my art to fight the war? I want to join the resistance somewhere, but I couldn't find them. So I become the resistance. Everything is art, everything is politics. The great Chinese artist Ai Weiwei once said, I don't think it's the responsibility of an artist to put politics in their subject matter, but as a citizen, I think it's important to stand up for justice when politics gone bad. In standing up for his city, Casey would end up losing it. Back in Hong Kong, after the national security law passes, Casey sees an article in the Chinese state-run newspaper, the Wenwei Po. It's attacking the Arts Development Council, the government arts funding body, for backing a documentary about the protests. At the very end of the full-page article, that's a small little four-lined paragraph about me, Casey X Wong. <laughs> and what did they say? <laughs> they didn't forget about me. They said, uh, on 2019, he went to foreign country, Austria, to talk about Hong Kong's independence. Casey hadn't mentioned Hong Kong's independence in his talk, but that made no difference. When I saw that article, then I understood my script is already written by the Chinese Communist Party. My crime is already written, and my crime will be collusion with foreign forces. <laughs> so uh, if I stay in Hong Kong, I would not have a chance to defend myself properly. Casey left the city in secret. He went to Taiwan, 
and after arriving there, he announced his departure in his own unique fashion. Let's say goodbye with a smile, dear. Just for a while, dear. It's a black and white video. Casey's at the waterfront, looking at the Hong Kong harbour, tears in his eyes. I won't forget you. Then he's dancing alone in the empty studio I know so well. The one that was always so full of his fantastical creations. Forms of exile, as he'd put it back then, before he himself became an exile. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when. Tell me why you chose to sing Vera Lynn's song, We'll Meet Again. It seems like... An odd choice. It's not a particularly kind of Hong Kong song. I want to remind everybody that this is a war on Hong Kong culture. And that's why I've chosen a a wartime song. And if we understand the context back then, she was singing to the soldiers heading to the front line of World War II. And these soldiers, these British soldiers, probably will not come back. So I can see myself kind of like that. No, I, I will leave Hong Kong and I probably will not come back. But I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Of course, I didn't leave Hong Kong. Hong Kong left me. Hong Kong was captured and forcefully occupied by these foreigners. But of course, internally, I know deep down, my Hong Kong no longer exists. It continues to live in my memory. So what am I fighting for? I'm fighting for the future of Hong Kong. In fighting for the future of Hong Kong, we were following our old king. He taught us the art of resistance. But our bond was deeper than that, for we had created him. We'd turned a man into our king with our imaginations. And in turn, he wrote us into being as his subjects, a distinct people. His texts became our collective memory. He modelled loss for us, and he also showed us how to keep going. When we'd lost everything... I think he's an interesting character because the king of Kowloon became this open source for reinterpretation and reinvention. You need to preserve the culture, create and to recreate. The king of Kowloon is that open source for everybody to recreate Hong Kong. And that changes through time. And of course, right now, it would would have a a new meaning since... uh, this collapse of the society as we know Hong Kong used to be. The ghost of the king has guided me over the years. I'd started with such a small aim to find out whether the land had ever been his. But it turned out that wasn't important. He led me to people I'd never have otherwise met. And they taught me what the king taught them. 
just how many ways there are to tell Hong Kong's story. There's more to it than the top-down, state-sponsored version of Hong Kong's past told by its colonizers. This is my personal story of Hong Kong and of the king. Telling that story is in itself an act of resistance, an act that probably means I can't ever return. And this podcast, it's my wall of dispossession, my own story of Hong Kong which will always be one of persistence and reinvention. This series is created and reported by me, Louisa Lim. Kirsty Melville is our supervising producer, and Sophie Townsend is our executive producer, script editing by Michael Delaney. Original music, sound design and mixing is by Russell Stapleton. Studio production is by Elizabeth Kulas, with pre-production sound design by Martin Peralta. Extra production and fact-checking by Wing Kwang. Podcast development is by Claire Rawlinson, with thanks also to Kyla Slaven. Production coordinators are Bridget Berger, Alison Barclay and Danny Maritos. My thanks to Radio National and ABC Audio Studios' Kath Dwyer and Justine Kelly. And a special thank you to all those who shared their stories. Hi, I'm Siobhan Marin. If you've enjoyed The King of Kowloon, I think you'll love our other series in RN Presents. Patient Zero gets to the bottom of some of the world's most devastating epidemics, while Who Runs This Place finds out just who's in charge in Canberra. This Much Is True looks at social media, disinformation, and the damage it does to our democracy. Or if you want to find out the true cost of Brazilian butt lifts, nose jobs and anti-wrinkle injectables, then have a listen to my series of RN Presents called Face Value. In Face Value, I look at the booming cosmetic enhancement industry and the damage our ideals of beauty can do. I was like, who did your nose? I need to know where. I'm going to go to him. We saw an unprecedented demand, a tidal wave of not just our returning patients, but also new patients. This idea that young people should be getting all these things done is just so toxic. It's brainwashing women to hate themselves for money. You can hear Face Value and other great podcast series in RN Presents right here or in the ABC Listen app.